For the next three Sundays, we'll be spending time in the fourth and fifth chapters of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking together about what it means to live a life of holiness. And these two passages, these two chapters, give us great insight into what that means for us. This is one of those passages this morning, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It's a little lengthy to try to read in unison as a large group. So uh, I will read it, and I challenge and invite you to read along silently as we consider God's Word this morning. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all such, all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you. You may be seated, and I encourage you to take that outline in hand uh, as we look at God's word together. In order to make the point of my message this morning, uh, I need to take a moment and uh, do something of a wardrobe change. So if you'll bear with me uh, for just a moment. All of us know the importance and the purpose of camouflage. Camouflage is intended to make us hard to see. Camouflage is designed to help us blend in with the environment around us. Now, if I were to put on this outfit and walk into the woods, it would be hard to see me because I would blend in. And that's the purpose of camo. So why in the world am I wearing camo right now? It's to illustrate something very important. It's to illustrate that, sadly, we live in a time and a day in which increasing numbers of Christians want to live out their Christian life this way. We put on, if you will, spiritual camouflage. And we want to identify with Jesus. We want to believe in Jesus, but in a way that enables us to blend in with the environment around us. In a way in which will enable us to be kind of invisible. 
Now, I realize I look kind of silly standing here in this. But that's also a point because it's silly for us to think that we can be faithful followers of Jesus Christ this way. Simply blending in with the world and the culture around us. If the Christian church today in America has lost a lot of its influence, as I believe it has, it is largely because too many of us are comfortable in camo. We're comfortable with blending in. Instead of standing out, blending in with the culture around us, we're guilty of, instead of embracing the light, all too often being part of the darkness. In our, when we have an opportunity to choose political correctness over spiritual obedience, sometimes we choose the path of political correctness and we mold into the culture around us. And instead of living by biblical values, we're, we're prone to abandon those for secular values. Way too many of us are comfortable in camo. It's here where we want to live. George Barna, a number of years ago, not too long ago, wrote an article. He's a researcher and he, he analyzes Christian trends and faith in America. He wrote an article by the title, A New Generation of Adults Bends Moral and Sexual Rules to Their Liking. The report states that attitudes of Christian believers born between 1965 and 1993, and basically that's anybody 50 to the early 20s, Christians were virtually identical to the attitudes of non-believers regarding gambling, pornography, abortion, sex outside of marriage, same-sex marriage, and the use of illegal drugs, among other things. The research points a compelling picture that moral values are shifting very quickly, not just among secular culture, but even among Christian culture. This is where a lot of us live. But there's a problem with that. The problem is that we cannot be faithful followers of Jesus Christ like this. You see, Jesus did not die. He did not come to this world. He did not send His Spirit to live in us so that we would merely blend in with the environment. He came teaching God's truth. He came revealing the plan, God's plan, for how life is to be structured, how life is to be lived, and he selected us, the body of Christ, to be the means through which he would convey that truth so that the world might know the truth of Christ. And he chose us to do that. The problem is, we cannot do that like this. The Bible tells us that as believers... We are called to live differently. And that difference is described in Scripture as a life of holiness. Now, what does it mean to live a life of holiness? That's going to be our focus for the next few weeks. In verse 7, the passage we just read, 
Paul says this. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. You and I are called to holiness. That's what positions us to make the difference in the world that we are supposed to. Now, the word holy means separate or set apart. When we speak of God's holiness, we're referring to God's distinctiveness, God's set-apartness, God's awesomeness, God's grandeur. Nothing and no one can even compare with God. God is holy. Moses, when he made his way to Mount Sinai, in addition to the burning bush that God placed before him, he hears the voice of God instructing him to take off his sandals because he is on holy ground. If we have lost our influence as believers in this country, it's because we've chosen the safety of camo. We have to pursue the life that is designed for us, the life of holiness. Now, some of us and some of Christians in this culture today are so comfortable in camo that we're not even sure what a life of holiness is or what it requires. So that's going to be our focus. For three weeks, we're going to park ourselves in the fourth and fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and each week, we're going to take a, address a different question about holiness. First of all, we're going to ask, what is holiness? And that's going to be our focus today. Next Sunday, we're going to look at why are we to live a life of holiness? And then the last week, perhaps the most important, how? Is it possible for us to live a life of holiness? So this morning, let's begin with the first. What is it? What does the Bible mean when it talks about holiness? Well, let's dive in here and see what we can discover from these verses that we've looked at just a moment ago. First of all, it is a life pleasing to God. It's a life pleasing to God. Look at verse 1. We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now we ask you and urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. This isn't rocket science. A real simple gauge. If you want to know if you're on the path toward a life of holiness, just ask yourself this question. Is my life pleasing to God? Now, there's two components of that. The first component is to take a look at your life currently, the things you're doing, who you are, and say, is my life right now pleasing to God? Is the way I treat my spouse pleasing to God? Is the way I do my work pleasing to God? Is the way I spend my money pleasing to God? Is the way I treat my coworkers pleasing to God? To God. Young people, is the way I'm speaking to my parents pleasing to God? So that's a great indicator. But it's not just a matter of taking your current life and asking, is it pleasing to God? But it's also 
asking God's input into aspects of your life that you're not even experiencing right now. For example, it's not just taking a list of things you're, that describe your life and say, God, are these pleasing to you? It also means taking before God a blank sheet of paper and saying, God, what would please you? Are there things that are not a part of my life that if they were, would be pleasing you? For example, would you be pleased if I sign up for one of the Bible studies in my church this fall? Would you be pleased if I'm a part of a small group? Would you be pleased if I was more devoted in my prayer life? If there's anything that you think would please God, that's a good indicator that it's a part of what we mean by life of holiness. Second, and I realize what I'm up against with the clock here, so I'm going to do the best I can. Secondly, a life of holiness is a life that avoids sexual immorality. Look at verse 3. It says it pretty plainly, that you should avoid sexual immorality. You know, I sometimes think that we in our day, in our era, invented sexuality. And that we think that it's all our idea. Think about the sexual revolution of the 1960s. We think about the sexual freedoms uh, that we have advanced and celebrate today. Listen, all that stuff has been going on forever. It's not unique to us. The group that Paul is writing to in Thessalonica, that was a city in Greece. The Greek culture at that time was known for its sexual promiscuity. There was free expression of sexuality. Polygamy was the norm. Promiscuity was, was celebrated and commonplace. Matter of fact, one commentator writing on this passage makes this observation of the culture of that day in that town. Immorality was not a matter for shame, rather of pride. There were little or no boundaries to sexual fulfillment in the culture of Thessalonica. I don't know about you, but that sounds very much like our day and our culture. And Paul is saying to the Christians there in Thessalonica, you're called to a life of holiness. And yes, you're immersed in a culture where sexuality is, is, is uh, experienced at all kinds of levels, but that's not for you. You're to live by a higher standard. You're to submit to a higher authority in matters of sexual expression. You're not to blindly embrace the sexual standards of your day. And neither are we. The truth is, too many of us are comfortable in, in camo, and we see no contradiction whatsoever as in following Jesus and embracing the sexual values and mores of the culture in which we live and we just join in. We live in a culture today that even among some Christians, marriage is no longer necessary for sexual activity or fulfillment, and they're opting to simply live together. Sexual activity is a given within most dating circles today. It's just supposed to happen. And most recently, our Supreme Court, we're in a time in which we feel like we can rewrite and redefine the definition of marriage. And we just recently, our Supreme Court has decided that marriage is no longer a sacred union between a man and a woman, but it can be two men and, and two women. Regardless of what culture around us says, 
As believers in Jesus Christ, we're called not to blend in, not to join in. We're called to a life of holiness. And just because the world around us might redefine sexuality and redefine marriage and redefine what is right and what is wrong, that doesn't change the standard that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are to follow. And that is God's Word. You and I are called to pursue a life of holiness. And part, just part, but part of what that means, according to Scripture, is to avoid sexual immorality. Thirdly, it is to be a life in which we're using our body in ways that honor God. Now, this goes beyond sexuality. This is talking about the totality of of how we use this resource that we have called our body. In verse 4, Paul says, Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Using the body in ways that serve God's purpose. Now, think about this. As Christians, we need to understand, and most people probably don't think about this, but why do you even have a body in the first place? Why? You have a body so that your soul, which is who you are, your soul has physical resources available to it to accomplish God's purpose for you. You see... We tend to look at ourselves and our life and we tend to think that we are a body that happens to have a soul. It is more accurate to say, fundamentally, we are a soul that happens to have a body. And it is our soul that God has created and given us, given us identity and value and our body is to assist the soul in carrying out its mission. You see, the soul has love for people and love for God, but the soul needs physical hands that will reach out and prepare meals and build houses and do things for other people. The soul needs a mouth and lips that will speak God's truth. The soul needs physical feet to take us to those places where we can engage in serving and loving others. And so a life of holiness recognizes that this body that we have, from the tip of our head to the heels of our feet, the totality of our bodies are God's gift to us to enable the soul to function and to work. And a life of holiness means taking this valuable resource that we have, our bodies, and using it in ways that honor God and serve God's purpose. So the question to each of us is, how am I using my body? That's a great indicator as to whether or not you are living a life of holiness. And then finally, It is a life of love for others. Verse 9. You have been taught by God to love each other. And this is hugely important. You see, 
you can do all of these other things that we've talked about and be far off base from living a life of holiness. You see, you can live a life that's pleasing to God. You can do a lot of godly things. You can live a sexually pure life. You can use your body to do some great things. But if you do all those without love, if you do those and you possess a spirit of of arrogance and mean-spiritedness and rudeness and arrogance, then that's not a life of holiness. And everything good that you do is going to be lost because it requires love. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, if I give all that I possess to the poor, and if I have faith that is strong enough to move mountains, if I don't have love, it doesn't count for a thing. And I've known people who are so heavenly bound, they're no earthly good. They have got all of, they've got all the bases covered. They can quote scripture. They, can, they have perfect attendance in Sunday school and worship. They're living a good, clean, moral life. But they lacked love for people. That's not holiness. I sometimes want to scream when I'm watching the television and I see these folks from the, the Westboro Baptist Church showing up at military veterans' funerals with placards saying, God hates dead soldiers. Or holding placards up saying, God hates fags. I want to say to them, what part of if I have not love don't you understand? We're called to stand out and we're called to live differently. And the primary way that's different about us is that we love. And if we don't, the world's not going to hear a thing we have to say. See, living a life of holiness doesn't mean hating those who don't. Living a life of holiness doesn't mean demeaning those who choose not to. It actually requires loving them more than ever before. And I really resent folks who say, you know what, if you don't approve of the homosexual lifestyle, if you're opposed to same-sex marriage, then you are hateful, you're a bigot. That doesn't mean that. It means that I value God's Word and am seeking to, to honor and be faithful to it. But also know the danger because of our human nature. To allow ourselves to be condescending and hurtful and hatred, hateful to those who might disagree. So, a life of holiness is a life marked by love for everybody. Recognizing that they too, no less than you, are a child of God.
plight of our world. Look at the plight of our nation. And I don't mind telling you, I'm, I'm a little frightened. I'm a little worried. Because I see more and more the people of God commissioned and sent to the world to change and transform the world into the kingdom of God. I see more and more of us comfortable in camo, perfectly content to blend in and become a part of the environment in which we've been placed. It's time to shed the camo and be the people of God. Be the light instead of embracing the darkness. Any time in, in our history call for persons of faith to live lives of holiness, it's now. I hope it can be said of me, and hopefully you'll believe that it is important to be said of you. Something that Bishop Reuben Job, a great leader of our church who passed away just recently, made this statement early in his life, and he lived it till the day he died. He said, I determine anew that with God's help and to the best of my ability, I will walk the path of Jesus in a culture that does not understand or value that path. It's time to shed the camel and be the people of God that we're called to be. Let's pray together. Well, God, we pray for boldness. We pray for empowerment. We pray for love. We pray that we will, as believers in Jesus Christ, shed all those things that make it so easy for us to fade into the culture, blend into the environment, and abandon our responsibility to be agents of light in a period of darkness. Oh God, we pray for your church. We pray for individual believers that you would enable us increasingly understand who we are and to pursue the life that you desire for us, a life of holiness. Because you know that life of holiness is not heavy, it's not oppressive, it's not confining, it is liberating more than anything else. It is life-giving, it is joyful. Most importantly, it is a life that offers witness to the world and the truth and the goodness of Jesus. So we pray, oh God, that you'll bless this congregation. Lord, I pray for First Baptist Church. I pray for Central Baptist Church. I pray for Stonecrest Church. I pray for every church in this town. That your Holy Spirit would speak profoundly and prophetically to all of us. And give us the courage we need.
to stand up and continue to proclaim the goodness and the truth of Jesus Christ. We pray, O God, that you'll forgive us for the times and the ways we have failed to do just that. O God, I just pray that um, you'll give us a holy boldness in our schools, in our places of work, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, to unashamedly and unapologetically Identify ourselves and join with the Apostle Paul, who is not ashamed of the gospel. May it be our rallying prize word. In the name and spirit of Christ, we pray. Amen.